sequel. It's not a franchise movie. It's not a remake. It's an original concept movie. They sat down and wrote a film, and it's very, very rare to see that these days. But for rebooting, I thought those two films did something very, very clever, which was they actually managed to coexist with the previous universe whilst updating it to an entirely new one. And uh, the first Star Trek film was absolutely superb, really, really well done. And the links with the past were superb. And the second one, which was the Wrath of Khan story, which is uh, for Trek aficionados probably the most uh, lauded of the intermittently awful Star Trek movies. Uh, that was the one that was really good. It had a great story and a great villain, and so so did the, the remake. And I felt that they absolutely squandered everything. I thought they ruined it. I thought they had a great story, a great villain in Khan, and Benedict Cumberbatch was absolutely excellent to play him. And then they just turned it into this almost carry-on Star Trek movie with uh, gags and jokes, and it was all a bit puerile and every other scenario resolved itself around people rolling around on top of a roof having a fight including the denouement at the end and I thought it was terrible and I put it in my worst movies of the year so I had quite high hopes for this one because it did get pretty good reviews um, this time around um, Christopher Pine's Captain Kirk I think he's acting really well now Christopher Pine in that role of Captain Kirk but he doesn't have any of the joie de vivre of, of William Shatner's rambunctious, drinking, fighting Captain Kirk. He's quite a morose character this time, uh, and that's necessitated by the plot where he's basically three years into the mission and just over it. It just doesn't feel like it's worth it. And uh, Spock, too, has come to the realisation that he's one of the few people of his kind left in the universe. Maybe he should be doing something with that rather than hanging around with Zoe Saldana. I'd struggle long and hard before I made that decision personally. Um, so they're both keen on getting out of the way. And they go to this enormous space station in the middle of nowhere. And I mean enormous, as big as a the planet. They might as well have just gone to a planet. And they get this uh, distress call coming from this craft, coming out of this nebula, which all flashing lights and, and rocks and stuff, where uh, it's in the uncharted space. And it's a person that says that they crashed on this planet in this nebula and they've got to go and get rescued so obviously the enterprise heads off now i don't know about you but it, they say the enterprise is the toughest fastest most advanced ship in starfleet it's also by far the most dangerous rust bucket to get on it's always always falling apart so anyway they get to this planet to rescue them and it's all a big con uh, and this uh, being appears from the surface with this um, what appears to be like a swarm of bees in spaceship formation and just smashes the living hell out of the Enterprise again. Um, and they crash land on the planet. And the story goes on from there with the, the villain on the planet has actually lured them there to, to trap them. And, and it sort of progresses on from there. And they handle it quite well. They go big stakes straight away. They manage to go straight into having um, uh, really big storylines and a bit of iconoclasm with um, smashing up the Enterprise, all of that kind of stuff. And I thought overall it was, it was a vastly improved film on the second one. It did, however, have some very crucial fundamental flaws, which I found myself thinking about more and more and more. And they had to do with the just the incredulity, the inconsistency, the science... Things like that I just kept getting waylaid by. For instance, 
the protagonist at the start seems to have superhuman fighting abilities. At the end, he seems to have human fighting abilities. There's a massive ship that is apparently invisible to the people on the planet apart from one character who has managed to put all of these um, invisible shields around it. And I, I found myself wondering, but what about the people that crashed it? They know where they crashed it. There's nothing else on the planet. And that's their only ship, even if it's broken. I would imagine that that's quite an important thing. They're not going to forget where they crashed. And the thing's unfixable, and they fix it in 10 minutes. And I thought, well, one person has managed to fix this thing in 10 minutes, but the entire crew was there 100 years previously, and none of them could fix it altogether, but this one guy can do it in a few minutes. And they bash the spaceships around off of rocks all the time, and you think... How many times do they do this and they fly these rust buckets into space? Surely that's quite a stressful endeavour. Um, and they continue all the way through. It's almost like they've decided, well, we want to get from plot point to A to B and we just can't be bothered. So we're just going to go straight to it. And I, I found that really grating. Um, they could have made more of an effort to, for continuity and for realism and stop bashing ships into rocks really, really hard. You just think, what, none of these things... And the way that they actually defeat their enemy, I was just head in hands. And other things annoyed me as well. I thought, um, I'm up and down with the actor Simon Pegg, who this time around wrote the screenplay, uh, co-wrote it. And I thought he did a pretty reasonable job, even though it ends up being quite drab. He, I thought he did an okay job. But his acting in it, I thought he was the only one that got better in the second movie, which I thought was terrible. And this time around, he's gone back to being jokey. But the most annoying thing is, he plays a Scottish character. And in, I don't think in any of the other movies, he said the word lassie. In this one, he must say it 40 or 50 times to this one person in particular. In, sometimes he'll say it three or four times in one exchange with a lassie, lassie, lassie. And it really grated on me. And I just wanted to throttle him. Um, but it was... It was uh, I enjoyed it more by the end than the than the first one, which I just thought was a complete waste. Um, and this one was halfway there. I'd give it a seven, a solid seven out of ten, uh, and I'd mark it down a whole point for all the inconsistencies and another half point for Simon Pegg, who is frankly ridiculous. This is from the... Oh, and it's directed by James Lynn. I didn't think he did that bad a job. He's the Fast and the Furious guy. Not the last two, but I think like from... I think he did two, three, four, and five, something like that. And he's, he's a, he does an okay job, in it? And Spock was a bit better this time. They, he was excellent. Uh, I think Zachary Quinto. He was brilliant in the first one. And he was alongside Leonard Nimoy in the, in the first one. Uh, talking to himself as Spock, the older Spock. And in the second one, they just made him this camp knockabout character, having relationship dramas with uh, with um, Zoe Saldana's character. This time around, he's a little bit more balanced, and they do pay some touching tributes in it to Leonard Nimoy, the original Spock who died just a month or two before the movie was released. And the guy that played Chekhov, whose name alludes Anton Yetz, I can't remember his name now. This is what, having pieces of paper, Yelchin, I think it's Yelchin, who was in the green room, which I reviewed recently, and he was really good in that. Um, And they do 
pretty good touching tributes to uh, James Lynn's a bit of a curse, isn't he? <laughs> After the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, so yeah, 7 out of 10 for that. This is from the Shaken Up versions from Sweden duo, brother and sister duo The Knife. Uh, they came out, I think, about two years ago. Uh, and it's uh, broadly speaking.